Well, hello. It's really good to be here. I feel like every time I get to come over, more faces that I haven't seen, which means we're doing good things. As we look at the fall, uh, we've had a fun fall on both sides. Pretty much every corner of our church, we're seeing really good growth. I was looking at the confirmation crew in here, and it's, uh, it's one of the largest confirmation classes we've ever had, so it is good, good to be together. Uh, first of all, uh, the echo, that little ring will go away. Is it freezing in all of this room or just over here? Be- Beck and I were over here like, dear Lord, I mean, uh, if it is warmer in any section, raise your hand and the people on this side can come to that side and warm up a little bit. Because, uh, I mean, we were sitting there like shaking as we were trying to worship, so the spirit was moving somehow. Uh, a little update. I had mentioned, you guys probably didn't see it a few weeks ago at Howard Drive. Uh, we are in the middle of moving, my wife and I, from one side of town to the other side, so we used to live over by Howard Drive. We're now about a mile from you all here at Rosa Park, so this was a nice little drive over here in the morning. But if I just start going off the deep end during the sermon, it's because we're in the middle of moving. We close on Thursday, and we are trying to stay close to Jesus, but it is hard at times. Hey, we are in the second week of a money series. Last week, Brian and Sandy and I kicked it off with a video sermon, and we talked about this idea that God owns everything, which can sound like wow, but I worked really hard for it. But if you lean into it, it becomes this very freeing reality when we lean into God owning it and he lets us manage what he gives us. Uh, But before we jump into the principle today, that I think is a really important principle that can change all of our lives, let's just name the reality that when we talk about money, there's, there's two things that when you talk about them, it's really complicated. It's sex and money. And both of them are like, we all struggle. Every one of us has parts to us that are really good about that, and every one of us has parts that are broken. And so that's, when we talk about money, everybody in this room has a complex relationship with money. Can we say amen? Not one of us has it figured out. So we're not in here. I'm not standing up here as the guy that has it all together. Uh, We are in this journey together. And like I said, we're going to look at a principle that is so, so important. I think we all practice this principle in so many areas in different ways. The principles, I'm going to give you straight up what the principle it is. Put first things first. You've probably heard it before. Put first things first. And here's what the internet putting first things first says it is. First things first shows how to stop looking at the clock and start looking at the compass. By figuring out what's important, prioritizing those things in your life, developing a vision for the future, building the right relationships, and becoming a strong leader wherever you go. First things first is a reality that's not just in the Bible. We're going to look in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Leviticus, by the way super fun book in the Old Testament, but it's a idea that is across the board. Stephen Covey, in his very important book, Seven, highly effect- seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders, he puts that as one of the seven habits. You have to put first things first. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Letters of C.S. Lewis, says this. He says, to love as you should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest... I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. If so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall move, I shall be moving forward the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Isn't that last line beautiful? When the first things are put first, everything else begins to make sense and fall in place. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek what? 
seek first the kingdom of God. If I put Jesus as king in every area of life, it begins to make sense. Order begins to happen. And we all know it. What we put first, what we prioritize, affects so many other things. If I put my career first, what plays out? For those of us who are parents, which I know is not everybody in the room, but if I put my kids first, which a lot of us do, there's ways that plays out that aren't healthy for us and for our kids. If we put money first, if we you could put a lot of your, some of your students in here, if you put sports first, which I remember growing up, for me, that was it. I put sports first. And when I would make that the most preeminent thing, and I grew up in a good, healthy Christian home, I was being told to put God first. But when I put sports first, it played out in some really unhealthy ways. First things first. Why does it matter? It matters because everything, like C.S. Lewis said, everything gets defined by and influenced by the first thing. And here's what I think. I think the first thing usually isn't that surface thing. It's not sports. It's not a relationship. I think it's the deeper things. I think the first things that we're often drawn towards are things like prestige. I think when we're talking money, I think the thing that becomes the first thing for me often is comfort. If I'm really honest, my relationship with money is the, the first thing is I want to be comfortable at the expense of all other things. And that, if that means not giving back to God, then that sort of has to be how it has to be. When I'm not living out the way God wants me to be, or it's success, or it's being known. I think that's often a first thing that we have in place. So today, we're going to be in the book of Leviticus, which, who's read through the book of Leviticus? Raise your hand. Wow! You guys are significantly better Christians, I'm sure, than Howard, <laughs> Howard Drive this morning. That's a great percentage. Uh, I was telling uh, somebody this morning, I, I know a pastor that planted a church in Michigan a number of years ago, and the first series they did was a verse-by-verse study through Leviticus, and the church grew like bonkers. So if you want to dig into Leviticus, or if you want to read it through again, the thing I would, I would encourage you to do is go to thebibleproject.com, and the Bible Project has overviews of all the books of the Bible, and their overview of Leviticus is so good. I would love to play it, but we'd get turned off of Facebook like in the snap of a finger. So that at the heart of Leviticus is this, and this is straight from the Bible Project. It's about how God is graciously providing a way for people to live in his presence. If you read through Leviticus, it feels like rules and it feels like structures that, like, what, what is this about? And what it really is, it's, it's creating boundaries and rhythms for the people of God to relate to their creator God. And, it, and some of them don't make sense to us because it's three and four and 5,000 years ago. But it was creating this world in which they could love and connect with the God who loves them. And chapter 23, which is what we're going to be in. It sits in this part that is about rituals and feasts and festivals, which, by the way, if, if any of you grew up in a Catholic church or a sort of a high Lutheran church, you probably followed the church calendar, which is actually a really good thing, because the church calendar is meant to give rhythms of how we connect and how we know God and naming the different things about who God is. If you lean into it in, 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 in sort of healthy ways. It can become stale if it's just sort of this rote thing that we don't really think about. But it's festivals and feasts and rhythms for them to remember who God is and to live in his presence. Let me pray before we jump into Leviticus 23, 9 through 14. God, uh, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, God. 
I think we, as I see the heads nodding, I think we all know that this, this idea of first things th- first matters. But I pray because and through your spirit, Lord, that you would speak new life into all of our lives today. And not just in relationship to money, God. Uh, but that, that that first things first, you as king, would play out in new and profound ways in our lives so that this week more of heaven can come to earth because of this community. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 9, says this. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring the priest a sheaf, and you want to see, if you want to see what a sheaf is, Kristen, by the way, our kids are looking at, at Leviticus 23 this morning. Uh, Kristen is teaching them 23, and she made a sheaf. So if you want to see a sheaf, it's this little collection of, of what they would have harvested. Bring a sheaf of the first grain, your harvest. He is to harvest. Bring the priest, bring the priest a sheaf of the first grain of the harvest. He is to harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. You can see the rules sort of around this. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering before the Lord, a lamb a year and a half old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hand, which would be like an actual quart of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast any new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be the lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Now, I'll talk about it a little bit. Like, why don't we practice this strictly if it says for generations to come? Part of that is we're no longer living under the law. We see that clearly in the New Testament, that we are not under the law as Jesus' followers. Jesus destroyed that. And so, but what does this mean? Like, what was the first fruit, and why would that matter, and what, what was all around? Because there's some rules and restrictions around it that are like, wow, that's interesting, God. Why did, why did we, we do that? And it made, again, it made sense then, but I want to look at high level what the first fruit was. And you've heard us talk about it, and it comes from a time when society was driven by the by agricultural industry, right? It was an agrarian society. And harvest time was a big deal because that is when the hard work that the farmers had put in for months paid off. I mean, it was a big, big deal. They were literally reaping what they sowed. And so God asked his people to bring the first yield, the first fruit of their harvest as an offering. And it showed obedience. It showed reverence to God. It showed that they trusted God enough to provide for their family that they would bring the first back to God. And you saw some of the rules, but some of the important rules that that I want us to think about are they had to bring it to the priests. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't just to bring it to the temple and drop it off. It was to bring it actually to the priests. And no other crops could be harvested until the first fruits were presented. So you would go out, you would harvest this first fruit. We don't know exactly how much it is. The first fruit and the Old Testament 10%, which I'll refer to in a second, are two different things. But they would harvest it, they would bring it in as an act of worship. It wasn't just bring it in and drop it off. It was bring it in as an act of worship. I trust you, God. I know that you will provide. The Hebrew word for first fruit is bikurim, which means promise to come. 
And the reason that matters is that the Israelites saw the first fruit as an investment in their future. God would bless what came after the first fruit, the promise to come. I bring this because I trust God, and not in a prosperity way. Sometimes these days, if you turn on TV and you watch an evangelist, you have this sort of prosperity gospel. If you trust God enough, God's going to give you this. That's not it. It was, I trust that God is the creator God. I trust that God is the God of his people. Life is not always easy. This idea of first fruits, it's 13 times in the first five books of the New Testament. 13 times. In Proverbs, which is, the Proverbs is this, this interaction between a father and a son before the son is going off to be a man. One of the things he says to him is, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crop. First fruits was about giving your best back to God as an act of worship. It's part of why we take an offering in worship. Like there's this moment where we stop and we say, we're giving our best back to God. And I think part of the reason, and maybe this is me, but I think part of the reason that this idea can be so challenging for us is we often live out of not quite enough mentality. Or we call it scarcity. I'll give to God when I have enough. Or I'll give to God when I've done everything else. And first fruit is a different reminder. It challenges, encourages us to think in a different way. I think there's some Old Testament, the reason we're using this, I think there's um, some Old Testament realities about giving that are important for us to think about. Um, as a pastoral team, what you probably, maybe you haven't heard us say, like, well, you're not, not going to hear us preach that you have to tithe 10%. We don't believe that's the New Testament reality. We think the New Testament reality is things like generosity, consistency, sacrifice. If you look at the New Testament teachings, we're not under this law. These things are really important. They come from because God gave to me, I want to give back to God. That's where finances should flow from. And that's what first fruit sort of teaches us. That the first thing is I want to give back to God. So I want to give you two takeaways that I think are really important around this. Where we can learn from this Old Testament principle. The, the first one is this, and I mentioned it before. But first fruits remind, reminds us that giving financially is actually worship. And I think that's so important. That when you give, however you give back to God, whether you drop cash in a plate, whether you go online, however you give back to God, the reminder that it's worship, that they brought their first and their best to the temple, to the priest, as an act of worship. You see, the, the, the money, the generosity part of it, the sacrifice part of it, those were byproducts. Worship was the thing that mattered. I am remembering who God is as I do this. And then God does something in my life, and the temple and the community functions because we're doing it. They were byproducts of worship. And so when someone asks me, how much should I give? My thing is, pray and talk to God. Again, the New Testament realities are generosity, consistency, and sacrifice. That's between you and God. And prayer should be part of it because prayer is worship. And it reminds us to enter into this as a conversation with God. Are we giving God our best? 
Second one's this. First fruits is a reminder to order your financial world wisely, isn't it? It's a, it's a good reminder just to order your financial world wisely. If you have a phone, I would encourage you to pull it out. Open it up to Safari or whatever search thing that you have. And if you go to crossview.church slash myplan, there's some good teachings about how to order your financial world wisely. Uh, one of the things that we talk about is what are your priorities? For the majority of Americans, our priorities tend to be this. We spend, we repay debt, we pay taxes, we save, and then if there's something left over at the end, what do we do? We tip it back to God. And the first fruits and the biblical pattern of that should actually be quite differently. That we start by giving back to God. We give the first fruits back to God. We pay off, we, we pay what we need to pay. We pay off debt and then we save. It's a different ordering of our financial world. And I think having been in this a long time now, money is one of those that sometimes we just need to say, do we need help? When we talk about ordering your financial world wisely, you may need help. You may need to reach out and say to somebody in your small group or a pastor, I, need, I don't know what I'm doing. It's, my financial world has been a wreck for a long time. I'm in so much debt that when you talk about giving back to God first, please, right? And if you're in that place, we want to create communities at Crossview where it's not shame to say I need help. Because we all need help in different areas. There are some great tools like Financial Peace University. We have people in our community who are willing to meet one-on-one -on -one with you if you are in a place of crisis. They will take their time to walk alongside you towards financial freedom. If you've never budgeted, which is a really good thing, start by budgeting. And budgeting, you can go online and search how to budget. You can go onto this page and there's a little tab. One of the things, I have a little Excel sheet for budgeting. Nothing super complex because I'm not complex when it comes to computers, but one of the things we've done for a long time, and trust me, we've struggled with giving it at times big time, but the very first line is Crossview Covenant Church, because we want to be reminded that the first fruits are back to God, and when we do that, just stop for a moment and pray, and say, God, is this number still the right number? And this is meant to be worship. This is meant to remind us that we can trust you for how you provide for us. Let's pray. God, this is, um, in some ways, the reminder that we do every week when we worship, that we are um, gathering to name you as the forgiver and king of all. And Lord, as we think about this month and talking about giving God, I pray that we would be able to lean into true freedom. God, that you give us everything and that we get to steward it. Uh, to lean into a truth like today that first things first is such an important thing for us to follow. So God, I pray for both sites this morning, Howard Drive and Rosa Parks. As we think about our money, as we think about giving back to you, ordering our financial world, God, I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us this week. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. Parents can be dismissed to go get their children.